right, well, good evening, everybody. If you would, go ahead and turn your Bibles to the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 5. Genesis chapter 5. It might be a little while till we get to the text, but you can go ahead and turn to the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 5. Now, I'm not going to lie, I'm not used to speaking into a, a mic like this, so if I wonder, I'll talk loud, all right? I'll make this work. Now, I do want to take the opportunity to say uh, it's an honor to stand before you to preach. Anytime anybody gets a, an opportunity to preach, obviously, it's something to be taken seriously. But to uh, stand in front of this church, uh, you, you have done a lot for me. You've done a lot for my wife in helping us get settled in. I tell you, Jacksonville is uh, it's a lot different than where I grew up. It's a, it's a change of pace for me. Uh, I grew up in a, a small town in Texas. I tell everybody I'm from Paris, Texas, but that's not actually true. Where I grew up is outside of Paris, Texas. And uh, we have a Sumner address on our, on our mailbox, but that's only because where I live, we don't have uh, a post office. It's called Maxi Meadows. It's a tiny little place in Texas. And uh, let's just say if you got one thing on your schedule, well, you're smack dab busy for the day. Uh, whereas here, I could drive out on Blanding, and there's, there's people for miles, probably more people than have ever been through Maxi Meadows in its entire existence. So uh, with that being said, you'll be glad to hear that I am a, a very short-winded preacher, and all of God's people said, amen. But because I grew up in a small town, our pace of life is much, much slower. So I can take a 15-minute sermon and make it last for an hour and 15 minutes, depending on how well y'all listen tonight, all right? So uh, we'll see. I know I did not... I did not tell my mother-in-law I was preaching tonight, so I want to take this opportunity to tell her I'm preaching and how much I love her, and if you want the truth, I can tell you that after the service, Well, that's what I'm going to say up here, so no, I'm just kidding, uh, but you know what, I was, I was uh, speaking to Jacksonville and how busy it is, we were out, I was out soul winning today with uh, Stevens Arn, and uh, I was telling him about how much of a, a change of pace it is, and I do mean it, uh, y'all have been very, very good to me and my wife and helping us get settled in, so I do appreciate it. But, uh, you know, as we're out soul winning, you, you can't help but when you talk to people to see the emptiness that they face, to see the conditions that people are in and the things that they go through on a daily basis, so alone and, and searching for something. And many times they don't even know what it is they're searching for, but they're searching. And they're so far away from Christ, so far away. And I want to address that in a in a some scale tonight, but I want to apply it to us as Christians, because uh, we have a lot of Christians today that I think are not where they should be in their Christian life. They're empty and they're searching, just like some of these, these lost people are. And, you know, as we grow older and we try to live in the will of God, uh, if you've been in church for any length or period of time, you've seen people that used to be where you're sitting right now that are no longer there. People who used to come to church that don't go to church anymore. People who backslid or they fell out of the will of God. Maybe even people who were in a position of authority. People that encouraged you or taught you or somebody that you looked up to and now they're not there. Maybe they turned on the church or maybe they just fell out of the will of God. Whatever the case may be, there was something there that was missing in their life that caused them to fall out of the will of God. Something was missing. And if you would examine each and every one of them, and if you could get down into their personal life, you would find the same thing in every single one of them. And I would dare to say that the same thing that those people are missing is the one thing that the heroes of the faith all have. 
Now, when I say heroes of the faith, you can think of some of the great men of the Bible. Obviously, you would think of Paul or maybe Timothy, some of the disciples. Many names could come to mind, but I want to make it a little more personal. Some of my personal heroes of the faith, one would be my, my grandfather. My grandfather has faithfully preached and served the Lord for many years, and that's great, but that's not what makes him a hero of the faith to me. That's some of the things, but there is one thing in particular that makes him a hero of the faith. I can think of uh, the man who pastors the church where I grew up, tiny town in Texas, has faithfully served there for over 30 years, stuck, stuck to the stuff and done a great work for God. There is one thing that he has that sets him apart as a hero of the faith for me. And I can think of one that would apply to all of us, our pastor that we have now in this church in Jacksonville, Florida. You know what? Our pastor has something. And you know, I'm thankful for a man of God who is faithful to stand before us and preach the word and do things that he should do even through the trials. You know, we have a lot of pastors today that are getting out of the ministry. I'm thankful we have one that's not. But what is it that the heroes of the faith have that the people who don't stick to the will of God, what is it that's missing? I'll tell you what it is. It is having a walk with God. At some point in their life, it's stuck. At some point in their life, they learn to have a walk with God. By looking at these men, underneath all of the principles that they stand on, underneath the doctrines that they live by, you will find in every single one of them a walk with God, a walk with God. And I want to talk for a few minutes tonight on that. I say talk, I'll preach, but I want to preach on that tonight, all right? Having a walk with God. And I'm going to preface it for a little bit, so be patient with me, all right? I need your attention, and I promise I won't waste your time. I'm going to preface it by going back before we read our text verse. You know, if you go all the way back to the beginning, all the way back to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, what was it that Adam and Eve did? They walked, and they talked with God in the cool of the garden. In the cool of the day, they walked and talked with God. They fellowshiped with him. And we talk about the Garden of Eden, you know, how it was perfect. There was no sin. All they had to do was pick of the fruit. They didn't have to work for it. And you know what? They were there. Everything was perfect. But what made the Garden of Eden so amazing? I'll tell you what it was. It was that time of walking with God, fellowshipping with God, that time of knowing that God was there. Can you imagine seeing God walking, knowing his footsteps right there beside you, that sweet time of fellowship with God? That's what Adam and Eve had. And we all know the story of how Adam and Eve were kicked out of the Garden of Eden because of their sin. And suddenly we have a sin-cursed world now. And Adam and Eve, they, they flee the garden and they have two children, Cain and Abel. And Cain, obviously, he grows up to be a man who plows a field and Abel tends to the sheep. And God comes to Cain and Abel and he says, hey, Cain, hey, Abel, I need a blood sacrifice to cover your sins. And so Cain decides he doesn't want to give the blood sacrifice. And we all know the story. But I'm prefacing the message tonight. Cain gives of his own fruit. He gives of, the, of his own work. He gives of the work of the ground. He doesn't want to give a blood sacrifice. And what does Abel do? Abel, out of a heart to please the Lord, gives the blood sacrifice. He does as God asks. And because of that, God does not accept the offering of Cain. And Cain, out of jealousy of his brother Abel, turns on him. And if you look at that, the one who walks with God, his own brother turned on him, not for doing something wrong, but for doing something right. And I'll just throw this in here. This isn't part of the message, but walking with God a lot of times won't get you a lot of friends. Walking with God a lot of times is going to set you apart. 
Cain kills his brother Abel. But if you notice, and this is just a side note, and if you study it out, it is an amazing thing to study. God came to Cain before Cain killed his brother Abel, and he begged Cain not to do it. He said, Cain, you don't have to do this. Cain, I love you. Cain, you don't have to suffer these consequences because you'll never be able to get rid of it. Cain does it anyways. Cain kills his brother Abel. God sends Cain out to be banished from the earth, to be a vagabond on the earth, to wander the earth, and Cain is sent away. So where does that leave us now? It leaves us back to Adam and Eve. And we have Adam and Eve now all alone again. They don't have Abel. He's dead. They don't have Cain. He's been banished. So we have Adam and we have Eve. And then we come to verse 26 in Genesis chapter 4 where it says that they had another son named Seth. Now between the time that Seth is born and from the time they got kicked out of the Garden of Eden, it is estimated that around 200 years passed by. 200 years. Can you imagine being Adam, being Eve, walking with God every day, having him with you every day? The world is perfect. And now for 200 years, Adam has to toil in the weeds. For 200 years, Adam has to work hard to provide for his family. For 200 years, Adam has to live with the fact that his oldest son killed his youngest son. For 200 years, he's left to live with the fact that he was a failure as a parent. For 200 years, he had to watch as a world around him deteriorated because of the sin that he had brought into the world. For 200 years, he had to question why did they listen to the serpent? Why did they let the devil come in? For 200 years... There is no contact with the Lord. The Lord talks to Cain and Abel. There is nothing that says he talks to Adam. And can you imagine for 200 years as, as Adam is there and there's nothing from God? And there is Adam for 200 years by himself in a sin-cursed world. And then in Genesis 4.26, it says, Then began men to call upon the name of the Lord. Then began men to call upon the name of the Lord. Now, if you look in the Bible, this is not the first time that men prayed. But I do think that this was the first time that they maybe started getting serious about their prayer life. And they said, then began men to call upon the name of the Lord. And you know, if you, if you could imagine what Adam would have been in for 200 years and all that he had to live with, I can imagine is all of the pain, all of the worry, all of the struggle, all of the strife started coming into Adam's life until finally he gets down on his knees and he starts praying to the Lord. And he starts calling on the name of the Lord. Can you imagine what it would be like after 200 years having that sweet time with God and now being separated from it? What Adam must be going through as he prays. But now Adam has a son named Seth. And I believe that Adam told those stories of how he walked with God in the cool of the day and how amazing the Garden of Eden was to Seth. Because if you follow the lineage of Seth, we find a man named Enoch. And if you look in Genesis chapter 5 and verse 21 in our text verse, it says, and Enoch lived 60 and five years and begat Methuselah. And Enoch walked with God after he begat Methuselah 300 years and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Enoch were 360 and five years. And Enoch walked with God and he was not for God took him. You see, Enoch heard those stories from his father who heard it from his father. And you can trace it back to Seth. And you can trace that back to Adam. You see, Adam decided he was, was going to get one thing right. If he was going to teach Seth one thing, it was going to be to walk with God again. Because he knew what it was like in the Garden of Eden. They had to have that walk with God. Enoch was translated by God because his walk with God, it didn't end after prayer time. It didn't end after his devotional time. Enoch had a walk with God that lasted throughout the day. 
it wasn't just a, a little morning routine with Enoch. No, Enoch had something special. Enoch had something that we need, and that is walking with God throughout the day. You know, I taught uh, a Sunday school lesson similar to this in a, a Sunday school class, and I had one of my bus kids. His name was Ofari. He came up to me, and he said, Brother Lauren, he's like, I, I want to walk with God throughout the day. And I said, hey, Ofari, that's great. Proud of you, man. You're, you're making great strides. I'm glad you want to walk with God throughout the day. And then what he said kind of set me back a little bit. He said, but I can't walk with God throughout the day. And I said, Ofari, what do you mean? You just told me you wanted to. He said, yeah, but Brother Lauren, I've got school, and I've got basketball practice, and I've got chores to do. And, and you know, it, it, it made me chuckle because out of his innocency, he thought that he had to be reading the Bible all day long, praying all day long to walk with God, which I'll note, it's good that he wanted to do that. I wonder how many of us are willing to uh, pull out the Bible on our break at work. I wonder how many of us are willing to maybe sacrifice our lunchtime to pray for a burden that we have. But Ofari wanted to do that and was willing to do that. And I'll say, I said to him what I'll say to you tonight. You know what? Your walk with God is not just reading your Bible. Your walk with God is not just the time that you spend in your prayer closet. Walking with God does not simply take place in our morning devotions. No, you walk with God when you apply the principles that you read in the Bible to your life and you dwell and you meditate upon the word of God throughout the day and you put God's promises and God's principles into action in your life. And that applies to all of us. You see, Enoch took what he learned in his time with God and he applied it to his life so that his life resembled what his, what his time with God was. And I'll say that one more time. Enoch, he spent time with the Lord, and he talked with the Lord. He fellowshiped with the Lord, and that time was sweet, so much so that his life resembled what his time with God was. And when I say to a degree, all of us, our lives resemble what our time with God actually is. You might be able to hide it for a little while if you're not walking with God, but eventually it's going to come out. You see, the people who should be here tonight, the people who should be in the will of God, but have turned their back on it, you know what happened? Eventually, their life resembled what their walk with God was. And eventually, that's going to be the case for all of us. Enoch applied it. So with that being said, I would say that herein lies our true Christianity. You see, if you can't serve God by yourself, when you're all alone, if you can't get in tune with God by yourself when you're all alone, don't expect for it to happen someday when, when uh, people are looking to you. So with that being said, I want to say that the reason why we can say with certainty that the heroes of the faith, the men of the Bible, the reason why we know they're heroes of the faith is because they have a walk with God. It's evident in their life. And that should be the case for all of us. We need to have a walk with God that evidences itself in our life. So I'm going to give you three reasons why you should walk with God. And I'm going to implore you tonight to walk with God. Number one, do it for God. Do it for God. Why? A, he commands it. In Micah chapter 6, verse 8, he says, He has showed thee, O man, what is good, and what doth the Lord require of thee? Not what does the Lord think you should probably do, what does the Lord suggest, what does the Lord require of thee? But to do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with thy God to walk humbly with thy God. The Lord requires it. 
And, you know, I can think of, of a parent who's trying to give medicine to a sick child. You know, a lot of time that kid's going to complain. I know because I was one. I'm like, oh, no, that cough syrup burns. Or, oh, no, I don't want to take that pill. I don't want to swallow that. Or, no, that tastes disgusting. Or, you know, I don't want to take it. I'm, I'll be okay. But a parent who loves their child and wants what's best for their child, they're going to make him take the medicine so they can feel better. You know what? God is the same way. God says, look. I want to walk with you. I want to fellowship with you. I want to talk with you. Why? Because I love you, and I have blessings in store for you, and I want to work in your life, but you got to walk with me. And can you imagine if God were here right now, and he put us in the Garden of Eden, and he said, please, come walk with me. Most of us would come walking, but the problem is, is we have things that hinder us, things that stop us, because, you know, the Bible says that this word is like a two-edged sword, and you say, well, sometimes it hurts to read the Bible. Sometimes it convicts. Sometimes our walk with God isn't so pleasant. And you know what? That's how it's supposed to be. But God says, do it anyways. And for that reason alone, I would say that we should do it. So we should walk with God. Why? Because we should do it for God. Number one, because he commands it. Secondly, because he deserves it. If anything, the Lord deserves for us to walk with him. Did you know that God created you? You know, the very fact that he created us gives us reason enough to walk with him, no matter what we think or no matter what we want. We should walk with him because he created us. You know, my mama used to tell me all the time, she said, boy, I brought you into this world, and with the snap of my fingers, I can take you out. And not once did I ever doubt that she was right. And you know what? It's the same with the Lord. Why would we treat it any different? He asks us, implores us to walk with him. He requires it. We should walk with God because he deserves it. How many of us here are saved tonight? That would be all of us. You know why? Because we're saved, we should walk with him. You know why? We were bought with a price. Our life is not our own. It is not ours to do with as we please. If Jesus Christ has saved us, we owe him at least to walk with him. And why would we not want to spend time with our Savior? Hey, walk with God. Do it for God. You know, whenever I'm looking at a political candidate or I'm trying to decide if I like something or not, I always weigh the pros and cons. Pros and cons. That's me. You know what? If, if I don't know somebody's policies, like if a politician says, uh, you know, all of this stuff, if they don't say a word about their policy, all I have to do is I have to study out who supports them and who's against them, and I know whether or not I like them. You know, it's the same thing with the Bible. A lot of times you can tell if, you, if something's good or not by who's for it and who's against it. And when I say look at who and what is trying to pull you out of the Bible, look at who and what is for the Bible. And I'll tell you, when it's a man of God telling you to read your Bible, when it's the people of God telling you to have a walk with God, and it's God himself imploring you, I would say that's enough to get us to walk with him. We should walk with God because he commands it. He asks it. And you know what? He deserves it. You know, sometimes you're going to have some things that are going to try to keep you from your walk with God. Your busy schedule. I don't have to tell that to y'all. You know it already. You live the life of being busy. I've seen the Jacksonville streets. I know how busy this place is. You know what? Don't let that busy schedule take you down. Why? Because if you die tonight, that busy schedule is going to vanish. But what's going to stay? The Lord's going to be there. The Lord's going to stay. How about it? What about those movies or TV shows that we like to watch? We let those pull, pull us out of our time with God. Are those so important? What about, what about those uh, movie stars? What about that YouTuber? You know, if you died tonight, they wouldn't care. They wouldn't be over there at your funeral. Why? Because they don't care about you. But you know who does? The Lord does. And he deserves for us to walk with him. And if you won't do it for God, then secondly, I'll say this. Do it for others. 
Oh, please do it for others. You know, God has a ministry for all of us somewhere. He has people that only you can reach, but you got to reach them. You got to reach them. You know, I have a I have uh, bus kids up in Kentucky, and I still claim them as mine. I haven't been gone for too long. But, man, I can, I can tell you name after name after name. Uh, there was one house. It was Brooke, Sarah, DeRay, and Harold. I'm talking about the conditions that these kids lived in, what they had to go through throughout the week. I could not imagine. I don't think these kids had a bath in a long, long time. And, I mean, you can tell they didn't know how to brush their teeth. They didn't know how to take a shower. I remember one time I brought them food, and, man, was I glad I did because they opened up their pantry, and all they had was one can of spinach in the pantry between all of these kids. They had a mom whose hair was matted, and she was always high on drugs. I'm talking about terrible living conditions. But those kids rode the church bus. Those kids got saved. You know what? They needed me to walk with God. They needed me. I remember when I first joined the bus route, there was a boy, his name was Dalton. Talk about a hard case. Dalton was a rough kid. Every time he'd come on the bus, he'd cuss out a worker, we'd kick him off for two weeks. He'd come, he'd start a fight, we'd kick him out for two weeks. I mean, it was a constant cycle of him coming and getting kicked out. Now, I was glad he was coming, but sometimes you hopped on the church bus, and I was like, man, I don't want to do this today. But you know what? Dalton, he was having a lot of obvious discipline problems. And I remember I was with uh, another bus worker who had been on the route longer than me, and he decided, you know what, we really need to figure this out with his dad. And so we went to go talk to his dad, and the opportunity opened up for us to witness to him. And praise the Lord, Dalton's father got saved, and it was just in the nick of time. Two weeks later, Dalton's father was brutally murdered in front of his own family. I mean, it was terrible, terrible situation. And I remember I remember holding Dalton in my arms as that boy bawled his eyes out. And I thought, man, these kids need me to walk with God. Talk about the overwhelming, I can't give them what they need. And, oh, man, another heart stringer. I had a boy on my route named Charlie. Man, that was a good boy. Charlie, not because he was well-behaved either, but Charlie, uh, when Charlie was born, his mom was on drugs. And you can imagine all the problems that a drug baby goes through. He wasn't always all the way there, but uh, Charlie, he loved to ride the church bus. And Charlie, his mom was on drugs. His dad was in prison when he was born, so he didn't know his dad until he was four years old. And then mom didn't want to take care of him, so great-grandma inherited taking care of Charlie. A couple years later, great-grandma got cancer, and she passed away. I was there at her funeral. And then uh, Charlie's aunt had come to take care of great-grandma. Well, when great-grandma passed away, guess who inherited Charlie? The aunt who didn't want Charlie, who didn't love Charlie, who didn't care for Charlie. So Charlie got kicked out, and he went to go live with his grandpa, and his grandpa was trying to take care of him and trying to love him. But you know what? Grandpa had three other grandkids he was trying to take care of, too, and, and, and it was just a messed-up situation. And, I, and all of these things that come in, and I thought, man, these kids don't need me. They don't need what I can give them. They need something that's bigger than me, something that's bigger than that. But you know what? Those kids, they would never get that unless I walked with God. How, so how about it, Sunday school teacher? What about those people that you stand in front of every single week? Do they need you to walk with God? You have to walk with God. You have to. They need you to. What about it, bus worker? Are you walking with God? Those bus kids that you visit every single week, it's not just a name. It's not just a number. They need you to walk with God. You have to walk with God. You have to. What about it, bus captain? Your route needs you. You need to walk with God. 
You have to. They need you. They're depending on you. What about a soul winner? What about those doors that you knock week in and week out? Are you doing it with a cold heart? Are you walking with God? Are you fellowshipping with the Lord so much that your life is a representation of your walk with God so that when those lost people open up the door and they may not know it, but they're depending on you to walk with God. They may not know it, but they are. How about it, choir member? Are you filled with the Spirit when you get up there to sing those songs? Hey, we need you out here. We need you to have a walk with God. How about it, church member? When you go to work, do your co-workers think you're just another one of the guys? Or are you somebody who is set apart because you have a walk with God? Hey, if you won't do it for God, do it for others. People are out there and they need you. And listen to me, they need you to walk with God because if you don't have a walk with God, they're not going to get to the point where they can have a walk with God. Why? Because this is so much bigger than ourselves. We can't do the work ourselves. You know what? I've been there. I've done that. I've tried to do a work in the flesh. And you know what happens? It comes to a halt pretty quick. We got to have something bigger than ourselves and we can't get that if we don't walk with God. If we don't walk with God, we have to walk with God. I know, man, his name was Mr. Situ. In fact, Philip Pettis led his daughter to the Lord on our bus route. And Mr., oh, I'm sorry, his granddaughter, Mr. Situ, rode the bus for a couple months. He was originally from Bhutan. He came for two months. He got saved and then decided he didn't like America because uh, of his health and what, whatnot. And he went back to Bhutan. Man, two months. We had two months to reach him. What if... What if we hadn't been walking with the Lord? We never would have reached him. We never would have reached his family. That's what we need to be doing as an individual, as a Christian, as a church, because we don't know who the Lord will send our way. We need to be ready for whatever happens. You know, I'm nowhere near where I should be in my walk, and I'm definitely nowhere near where I desire to be, but I strive to be the link between the people that I serve and the minister or that I minister to and the Lord. Because you see, eventually what happens is when you start teaching people and you start discipling them, if we're holding on to the hand of the Lord and we're walking with him, we're fellowshipping with him, the people who maybe they've just gotten saved or they've just started coming to Sunday school or they've just ridden the bus, they don't know how to walk with God yet. They're still learning. They're still figuring it out. But you know what? They'll follow you. They'll follow you. And if you're holding on to the hand of the Lord while they hold your hand, eventually, Eventually, someday, you're going to let go because you're not always going to be here. And yet they're going to keep on walking with the Lord. Why? Because you had a walk with the Lord. Others are depending on you to have a walk with the Lord. So I say do it for God. Do it for others. You see, our job is not just to pray. Our job is not just to simply read our Bible. Our job is not just to be good, to go to church, to obey the Lord, to follow rules. No, our job is to walk with God throughout the day, to have a life of walking with God. Thirdly, if you won't do it for God, and if you won't do it for others, then for some selfish reason, I would say do it for you. Do it for you. See, when you walk with God, yes, you please the Lord because he requires it. And yes, you can help others, but ultimately you are the one who benefits the most from that walk with God. You know, there's never been one time where I read my Bible where I got up and said, well, I wish I would have done something else. Now, there's sometimes you get into some of these books and you may not understand it all. And there's never been a time where I hit my knees in prayer and I prayed and I prayed and I got a hold of God that I said, man, I wish I hadn't talked with God. Man, I wish I hadn't spent time with God. You are the one who benefits the most 
from your walk with God. And when you don't walk with God, ultimately, you are the one who is hurt the most from not walking with the Lord. We have to walk with God. We have to. You see, Adam and Eve, as long as they walked with God, they had all of the Garden of Eden at their disposal. All they had to do was tend to the garden. Pick the fruit. That's all they had to do. That's all they had to do. After all, what had the serpent done for them anyways? But the problem is, is they listened to somebody who had never done anything for them, who didn't care about them, and they let them pull them out. And so they fell into sin. They lost what they had because they were focused on themselves. Whenever they didn't realize the best thing for themselves they could have done was stay right smack dab in the will of God, just obeyed the Lord, kept walking with him. But as soon as they sinned, that walk was gone. That fellowship was gone, and it took them a long time to get it restored, 200 years to get it restored. Christian, don't go many years of your life without having a walk with God. You may think it'll be okay. You may think you can pick up where you left off. But may I say, when you pick up where you left off, you're going to find a lot of broken pieces because you didn't walk with God. Walk with God. Walk with him. You know, Abel had the peace of mind that Cain could never have. Abel Yes, he may have died, and you say, what a bad way to go out, but I say I would rather die being Abel than die being Cain. Abel had that peace of mind that Cain could never have. Enoch never tasted death and was translated straight to heaven. And if that's not good enough motivation to get us to walk with God, I don't know what is because I don't know about you, but I don't want to die. Now, can you imagine, though, Enoch having a walk with God that was so good, so good that the only way it could get any better was for him to be walking with God in heaven. And I love this story. I've heard it said like this. And of course, this is this is fictional. This isn't uh, scripture. This is just Jacksonology right here. But I've heard the story said where Enoch is walking out in the field one day, and you can see the sun setting on the horizon. He's out in the field. He's spending time with God. He's fellowshipping with God. And they, and they start walking. And as the sun begins to set, the Lord says, you know what, Enoch? We're closer to my home than we are yours right now. Why don't you just come on home with me tonight? And boom, Enoch is up in heaven with the Lord. And when I say Enoch's walk with God was a little piece of heaven on earth. And you know what? There's been a lot of times where I've said that's a little piece of heaven on earth about some things. It might have been my wife's cooking or my mama's cooking. But may I say that that should be true about your walk with God. Your walk with God should be a little piece of heaven on earth. And if it's not, something may not be right. You know, it may not always be enjoyable. It might sometimes be convicting, but ultimately, that should be a little piece of heaven on earth. Your walk with God should resemble what's going on in heaven. Because you see, when we walk with God and we live that walk with God throughout the day, that means that now we have a little piece of heaven on earth around us. And when people see us, they don't just see another coworker. They don't just see some crazy bus worker out knocking doors. No, they see somebody who has a little piece of heaven. Why? Because we have this word inside of us, a word that is settled forever in heaven. And you know, when we go out and we're living that walk with God, People see that. People know the difference. But ultimately, you are the one who benefits the most. Ultimately, you are the one who gets the greatest blessings from that. A, a walk with God that's so sweet, it can only get better if he was up in heaven. Man, what a goal to have. What a goal to have, to have a walk with God that sweet. In conclusion, I would say, don't waste years of your life without walking with God. You know, look at the life of Adam. You think it was worth it? I don't think so. I wouldn't, trade, I wouldn't trade places with Adam in a heartbeat. Why? Because I want to walk with God from day one to the last day. We need to walk with God. We need it. 
How about it, Dad? Are you walking with God? Are you leading your family in a walk with God? How about it, Mom? Are we training those children to walk with God? Are you setting the spirit in the home by walking with God throughout the day? How about it, teenager? Are you setting the spirit in the home by walking with God throughout the day? Or are you spreading a spirit that says, you know what, I don't care? How about it, kids, children? Are you walking with God? There's no age limit on it. Praise the Lord. There's no age limit on walking with the Lord. In fact, I think the Lord has a special place in his heart for children who will walk with him. Are you walking with God? Well, I'm not talking about just praying. I'm not talking about just reading your Bible. I'm not talking about going through the motions. No, I'm talking about something that's real, something that you take with you. Your life eventually is going to tell the story. What is your life saying right now? Examine yourself. You know, we're about to go into the Thanksgiving holiday. A lot of us are going to see some friends and family that they don't know that they're shaved. They're lost. Is your life going to maybe get them to ask some questions? Maybe they already are. Is your life going to say, you know what, I need to be saved? Or is your life going to tell them like, oh, that's just the relative that happens to go to church? No, our life should be different. Why? Because of our walk with God. You want to make it for the long haul? You want to stay in the will of God? You got to have a walk with God. It's that simple. I know this is a simple thought tonight. I've tried to hammer it home as much as I could. When I say we have to have a walk with God, make your life resemble your walk with God. Do it for God. Do it for others. Do it for you. Let's walk with God.